I want to recap before we get in. So I'll give you a place to go for scriptures. If you have your Bible app, of course, you can pull that up on events, uh, the Version Bible. And you can find a place there to put notes and all that fun stuff. You can see all the things that are happening at the Grace Place over the month of December, mostly a lot of the uh, things that we have on there about the month of December. But there's a section there that has the, the text that we're using today out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, it also has sermon notes underneath there that you can keep track of that. And you're going to leave here today with an assignment. How many of you are so excited about an assignment? Yes. Let's try that again. How many of you are excited about getting an assignment today? Yes. You knew you were going to school, right? Uh, we're going to give you an assignment and hopefully it won't be uh, too egregious for you. But I want to just recap where, we, where we've gone this month, right? So first message, we talked about giving God what belongs to him, which is really everything. But he only asked for 10%, a tithe. And uh, then, of course, the month of, of November, we've been giving offering, tithe and offering. Offering is uh, always above whatever we give in terms of tithe. And tithe is the 10 percent that we give to support the work of the Lord. And uh, so out of the 100 percent that we have giving 10 percent, it involves not only our finances, but it involves our time and it, and it involves our talent. Right. Using our talents. I love our worship team. These guys are awesome. Our media team, uh, the people who are over here with your wonderful children today and are loving on them and, and, and ministering to them so you can uh, hear the message today and, and be blessed by worship and that kind of thing. I love these people and they're giving uh, a part of their gifts and their talents uh, to be used for God's glory. Isn't that fantastic to be able to do that? So we talked about that first 10%. The 10-10-80 plan, the second 10%, we can sum up this way, okay? This will help you remember the second 10%. Jesus saves and so should you, right? <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus saves, so should you. We talked about having 10% savings that we would put 10% of our income aside and, and save it for the rainy day situations, for things that are inevitably going to come to every household and every person. The Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. And there are just difficult seasons that are going to come. A season where you're without work or a, a season where the air conditioner goes out or uh, a car blows up or whatever seems to happen that arises and, and happens. And we should have savings set aside uh, that we can uh, help us get through those difficult seasons. And we said that a good, a good uh, moniker for that would be two to three months worth of income saved back. That would be a, a good uh, goal for us to kind of reach in terms of having savings. And uh, it's a good, good way to go. So now, then Zach brought last week a, a tremendous message. We were listening and uh, watching you guys online live, uh, though we weren't here, we weren't in town. And we really enjoyed the message and, and what, he, what he had to say. I loved what he was talking about with respect to the rich young ruler. How many of you were here last week and heard the message? The rich young ruler. And he was saying that the opening statement there when he says good master and Jesus challenges him on that because he wants to know where he's coming from. And it was it was it's fascinating 
uh, what he was bringing out about that particular passage, that in that statement, that young man was equating himself with God. He was equating himself with, with Jesus. He was saying, good master, like, I'm also good. You know, so I know good people when I see them. You don't know, no, I haven't healed any blind eyes. I haven't raised people from the dead like you. Hey, you're above me. But I give, you know, to charities and, and I do all of the things that I'm supposed to do as a, as a, as a good follower. You know, I, I am, uh, he, in fact, later he's asking him about the Ten Commandments. He said, you know, you know that you should keep all these. He said, I've kept all those from, since I was a young person. He wasn't saying I'm perfect in any way, but he was just saying, basically, I'm living the life. You know, if I fall down, I ask for forgiveness. I get up and I, I keep going again. I keep heading in the right direction. And so then the challenging question or the challenging task that Jesus gives him, can you give away everything, everything to the poor and then come follow me? And he went away, the Bible says, sad, for he had a lot of things. He had great wealth and he had great riches. Now that was so powerful that he brought out that in that instance, he was kind of equating himself with God. And it is the way that we, we, we are operating, whether we know it or not. When we say, you know, hey, that might be true about tithing for somebody else, but my circumstances are different. That might be true about saving finances for somebody else, but my circumstances are kind of different. Or that might be true about living this way for God and stuff for someone else. But for me, you know, I should do this. It might be true that, you know, the Bible says that I should avoid the appearance of evil, but, you know, this is probably not as evil as some people might think. You know what I'm saying? We, we're justifying these things. We're laying blame at the feet of someone else. And what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in the place of God. I know better. And I thought that was just such a powerful point that he brought out. I don't want to re-preach his message. But then today, we're going to learn how to be an 80 percenter. And the key word for today is contentment. Contentment. Can you turn to your neighbor and just say contentment? Did it hurt to say that? No. It feels good to say that, doesn't it? Contentment. I want to live contented. So, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Let's read the Word of God together here, all right? But godliness with contentment is great gain. Read it with me. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Hit the next slide for me. Contentment involves learning to love the will of God regardless of the circumstances. Contentment involves learning to love the will of God regardless the circumstances that we're involved in. I love God, I am not God, and therefore, whether things are going great for me or things are going bad for me, I'm going to obey God in every part of my life, and I'm going to love His ways and practice His teachings. Tithing helped me to understand the truth uh, and and to, to that particular truth and to, and to be able to put it into practice from, from when I first began to uh, be obedient in terms of my giving at a very young age. It, uh, it really has taught me as I've grown up 
this, this valuable, valuable lesson of contentment, of how to live contented, of how not to have unrealistic expectations about anything that comes into my hands, but to enjoy the seasons that God brings into my life and to obey him in every way in those seasons. It helped me to discipline my spending and to identify my priorities by tithing the first 10%, saving the second 10%, living as an 80%er, it taught me to discipline my spending and to identify my priorities. Where do I want to go and uh, why do I want to go there? I read an article several years ago that was very, very interesting and it, it was talking about the mindset of the consumer and it broke down the, 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 uh, into categories how um, manufacturers and retailers view all of us as consumers. And they have put us basically into three categories, and that's on the next slide here. They put us into these categories of riskers, followers, and laggers. Riskers, followers, and laggers. Now the riskers are the people that are way out in front in terms of um, they're, they're identifying products, uh, purchasing them early. Uh, you might even say they own it before it's for sale, right? The riskers are the people who've read all about it. They, they are the wannabe engineers. They know every, all the specs. They have read the details. Uh, they know and have identified the value of this new product, uh, the new version of this product, and, and it's coming out. And uh, they have it immediately when it goes for sale um, uh, to the public. They are the first ones that own it. Uh, they, they read all these articles. They know about the product. They can tell you about it. Uh, they know about the specs. But the riskers are very important in the consumer market because manufacturers and retailers want to engage the riskers to find out. That's their test audience. They want to find out if this is really something that's going to catch on. And so they're, they're watching the riskers and they're watching these people's behaviors and uh, they want to read their posts, they want to read their blogs, they want to, to support them uh, as an Instagram model, if you will. They, they want to take the riskers and, and have them uh, show everyone else how great and valuable and important this product is for their life. Now, there's a, a big downside to being a risker. And that downside is that the riskers are at the high end of the market. They pay the most for every product. When it comes out in the beginning, it's at its highest price, and then later uh, things begin to fall down. When more and more people are purchasing the product, the manufacturers are able to mass produce this, and things get much cheaper. So for instance, as an example, the Riskers, uh, they, in, uh, a, a new 42-inch flat screen TV sold for $5,000 in 2004, and the Riskers owned it. $5,000 for a 42-inch flat-screen TV. Today, you can buy a flat-screen TV for about $300. All right? Riskers pay a high price, but they are on the front pages. They are the ones that are important to the consumer market, and they are the ones that are being targeted a lot by Madison Avenue, 
uh, and all of the campaigns, they want the riskers to get involved. The next group are the followers. Now, the followers, are they, they watch the riskers, and uh, they learn about the product from the riskers. They want to read their blogs. They want to see their posts. They want to get a feel for what's going on. In fact, their first view of the product is often uh, in, from the hands of the risker. He shows them, she shows them the product and how it works and how great it is and demonstrates it for them. It's, it's in home demonstrations and, and uh, tells them all about it and all the upsides and the downsides. And, and followers love Yelp. They jump in and, and read all the reviews. The riskers have already been there and they put the stars up. And, and so the, the, the followers, they're, they're wanting to know what the riskers think and they identify uh, something that is good or bad based on what has happened with the riskers and their truth-telling stories about this product and how it works or this restaurant and how great it is or so on and so forth. Now the followers will pay a little less for the product. It's still a little bit on the high end, uh, but not near as much. The cost has come down a few thousand dollars, and so uh, they are ready to, to jump in because they've heard all about it. Followers are the largest buying group, and they allow the manufacturers uh, to begin mass production in, in all of those products. Now, the last group are called the laggers. The laggers are most fiscally responsible of all of the groups, of the consumer groups. The laggers in this room today, on average, are about three to six generations <laughs> behind innovation, right? Uh, if that's you and you're a lagger and you still have a flip phone or a, uh, a seven or less iPhone, you know, hold your hand up and, you know, you have me. <laughs> there you go. You're a lagger and I'm with you. I'm, I have an iPhone 6 plus, you know, I'm just uh, I'm back behind uh, generations behind whatever is going on. And and so uh, any uh, are there any flip phones still around? I, a few years ago, we still had a couple of people here that had flip phones, but. They've finally given it up and gone to the first generation of whatever is going on. But they were laggers and they just get drug into it, you know. But price is most important to them. Uh, they get the biggest bang for their buck. That's what they want to do. And they're important to the marketplace. And so the marketplace keeps talking to them about how valuable this is. But ultimately, they're on the, the bottom side or the back side uh, of uh, the consumer. It's hard to, to, to be a lagger in the marketplace, though. It takes a lot of discipline, and it also requires that those people live uh, a, a more contented life in light of all the other things that are, that are going on. And uh, to many, they may seem like they're completely out of touch and, and uh, technically challenged or whatever, um, but uh, it takes a lot of discipline for someone to be in that group, the laggers. Contentment does not come, though all of us can own this and understand it. Contentment does not come from material things. We buy things, someone said, that we do not need with money, we do not have to impress people, we do not even like. And here is the motto of those who have learned to live on 80% of their income. Here's their motto, the next slide. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. People who learn to live a contented life have a different view of material things. And they understand that a car is not a status symbol. 
a car uh, does not tell people how smart you are, how great you are, how important you are. A car gets you from point A to point B. And so people who live contented lives are okay with driving cars that everybody else may not think is the most awesome car in the world. How do we achieve contentment when our culture and everything around us tends to focus on immediate fulfillment? That's the challenge. Advertisers, uh, advertisers all over have us uh, in the bullseye. They, they are targeting us and they usually stress the importance of how good you're gonna feel rather than, than how, uh, you know, how functionally really this is going to be for your life and transforming things in your life. A phone is a phone is a phone, and uh, a, a smartphone is a smartphone is a smartphone, and, uh, but they're going to target, you're gonna feel completely different if you keep upgrading and get to the next level of, of where everything is going. It's an emotional appeal, and that emotional appeal is, is often tempting to us. And, and we have to remind ourselves that uh, great gain does not necessarily come from having things. The next slide tells us that contentment is the enemy of consumerism, and so advertisers appeal to our discontent. They're not interested in you being contented. They're interested in you being discontented. And even the ads that show us uh, going away to the Caribbean and relaxing, you know, and uh, sitting out in the sun, they're appealing to the fact that currently you're sitting in a workplace uh, environment and you don't like your boss and everything else is going bad. And they're saying, you know what, you shouldn't be here, you should be here. They're appealing to your discontent and into that, the passage of scripture that God speaks into our life the wisdom from heaven that God brings to us with respect to our understanding about things and how to live life. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Job said it well early in scripture. He said, naked I came into the world and naked I will leave. I've had... Um, as a pastor, uh, performed a lot of funerals over my lifetime and uh, said goodbye to a, a lot of people that I love so very much. And I've seen in their lifetime their treasures and their material possessions and things like this that they've acquired and accumulated. And I know that we don't get to take them with us anywhere. That these are things that we really don't own, we just borrow and we use. And so the challenge for us, especially as those who would live for Christ and live for his kingdom, is how will we use those for his kingdom? How will we use what we've been given for his glory? Because ultimately, that's all that lives beyond this life. That's all that will go beyond this life. Everything else stays behind. Next slide says one of the most pervasive and destructive mental tendencies as that of focusing on what we want instead of what we have. The nature of sin has its very roots in discontentment. And you might remember early on in the, the, the book of beginnings, the very first stories of mankind that we read, the enemy is appealing to discontentment. Adam and Eve brought absolutely nothing to the table. 
They didn't even bring themselves. God created them and made them, and he made everything that was in the garden. And yet the enemy is able to convince them that there's one tree that God is holding back from them and to create inside of them discontentment. And then God could have sat down with them and said, okay, I'll tell you what, everything that you brought into this life, you can have and own. Go get it right now. <laughs> and they would say, well, we, I didn't bring anything. Nothing. Everything that we have, you have given us. God provided everything. God provided oxygen. God provided food. God provided water, natural beauty, light, warmth, health, companionship, intellect, love. Why is it that we struggle so much to live a life of contentment and we're constantly being refocused on what we don't have rather than appreciating and living in a life of gratitude about everything that we do have? Even though Adam and Eve brought nothing to the table, the devil was able to convince them that God had robbed them and taken something away that was so vitally important to them. And now we arrive at your assignment. Are you ready? Now, before I tell you about this assignment and you get all worked up and overburdened and stuff, I really don't want you to go. Um, I think it's on the next slide here, the action assignment. There we go. Um, I don't want you to get too worked up about this, okay? Because really, I just want you to do eye observation. You don't even have to, like, dig through the drawer or dig through the closet, okay? We're going to go through some things here, okay? Here's your assignment. I want you to look in every closet in your house, all right? All we're trying to do is get an idea of what we own, what we have, what's there, what is in each of those places, right? Inspect every junk drawer. I'll bet some of you can find uh, a, a phone. <laughs> I'll guarantee you, you find previous technology, an iPad, something, you know, these junk drawers, there's all kinds of amazing things inside of them, all right? I want you to go through boxes in your garage. Just take a look. Just walk out in your garage. You don't have to open everyone up and pull everything out. Take a look. There's usually there's a marking on the outside that says, mine in my garage, there's, there's boxes that say, Alan's junk. <laughs> That's what Michelle thinks about the stuff that I've accumulated. <laughs> Alan's junk. It's not like there's not enough of it in the house. There's some of it in the garage. And... Uh, but I will tell you this, we reclaimed our garage, we're now parking there. Give us a hand, all right, let's see. There are numbers of people that can't even park in their garage. Okay, I'm not gonna point you out, <laughs> but I've been to your house and I see you parking on the street. No, I'm just kidding. I want you to go through the boxes in your garage, just take a look, just see what's there. Look under your bed. I found some amazing things under my bed uh, like six months ago, stuff I thought was gone and lost was under my bed, it was amazing. <laughs> Check the attic, some of you have attics, you just pull the string and go up and see what's up there. Boxes, decorations, and ooh, some neat stuff over here. Furniture that grandmother gave us or something, you know? There you go. I want you to look in the back seat of your car, the trunk, and the glove box. <laughs> might be a, you might wanna clean that out, all right? But if you don't, just take a look 
and uh, see what's there. There's some things of value. One time, uh, Zach had lost his phone, had been gone for a long, long time, and uh, I was cleaning the car. I was doing some detail cleaning on our car. when we lived in Las Vegas, and it was an actual flip phone he, he had, and it had been lost for like six months. We had actually bought him another one, and I'm vacuuming, and poop, I pull up his phone, his, <laughs> his, his little flip phone, and uh, it was actually in the car the whole time underneath the seat. Had, had been down there for like a long time, six months. All right, so I want you to take a look. Go to the storage lockers that you have. If you have a storage locker, just pull the, the, the door up or open the door, however it works, and, and just kind of take a peek in, maybe take a little snapshot with your iPhone or whatever, and uh, get an idea of all that's in there that you have. Check your storage shed behind your home if you have one of those. Just kind of take a look, peruse through it, got some lawn equipment and think, oh, look over here. Here's some more furniture. Um, go to those storage boxes that you left at mom's, your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunts, your cousins' house, you get the picture. Somebody has something they would love to get rid of, right? At, at, at our, we have some stuff for our kids. We're like, hurry and get home. We even come and get it. We want it out of the, the attic and come and own it, okay? And so you may have a box or two somewhere else that belongs to somebody else. Get an idea of, of what the lay of the land is. And then here's what I want you to do. Next week, I want you to come back and tell us all how it's impossible for you to live on 80% of your income. All right? Some of us, well, it got quiet all of a sudden. Some of us could probably sell the extra stuff that we're not using or participating in every day and make a rent payment, make a car payment, maybe even a home payment. Just getting rid of it. We have so much. Some of us could participate in a, in a yard sale and uh, make enough money to go on vacation with our family. Carry that inventory list with you, mentally or physically, if you make it. Every time you go shopping, next time you go to Target, before you purchase something, pull the inventory list out and go, ooh, I've got a lot of stuff back home, right? What are we talking about? We're talking about living contented lives and not being pressured as a consumer to purchase everything around us. And we're moving into a season where the pressure and the tension has risen and been elevated, and it's a constant commercial. They don't even celebrate Thanksgiving anymore, do they? I mean, we've been hearing Christmas music and seeing constant commercials about everything that you must have this year, uh, from, from the beginning of November almost, right? Next slide. Wanting what you don't have produces an endless cycle of undue stress in our lives. Wanting what we don't have produces an, uh, really an, an undue stress in our lives. When we're fed by discontentment, we continue to believe that we can buy happiness. We can purchase it with one more purchase. I want to tell you what happiness is, and that's on the next slide. Happiness is a choice that is allowed when contentment is practiced. Happiness is a choice that is allowed when contentment is practiced. Happiness is not a destination. 
It is not uh, the next level of your career field. It is not the next car you purchase. It is not uh, getting married. It is not having a baby. It is not any of those things. Happiness is a choice that is only allowed when we live in contentment. We're contented with what we have and what we've been given. And it is a way of life that is allowed when we are living a contented life. When it's fleeting, when, when we feel happy one day and sad the next, we're not living in happiness. We're living in, in, a, in a euphoria. A euphoria of experiencing events, and a euphoria of experiencing a purchase, and, and having something that we've been working for or wanting. But when we live in happiness, you can be happy even at a funeral. Right? You can, you can be living a happy life even at a funeral. In the most difficult seasons and crises of your life, because you have embraced contentment, and you're living contented, and Job said it this way, he said, Blessed is the Lord who gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What he's saying is, I'm happy if I have it, and I'm happy if I don't have it. I'm happy if I'm well, and I'm happy if I'm sick. I'm happy if, uh, if everything's going great with my family. I'm happy if everything is not going great. Because I'm living in contentment. I'm living in a fulfilled kind of a life. Next slide says, how can we live a life of contentment? How can we live a life of contentment? And there are three things that we can do to live a life of contentment. Value what God values. Value what God values. None of the things that you're going to find in your closet or inside your house or up in your attic are things that God truly values. God values you. He values the character that, that he is developing inside of you. God values the gifts and the talents that you have. God values the mission that he has given to you. And, and these are things that God values. And when we value what God values, then we begin to live a contented life. The second one is to live a purpose-driven life. Um, our, our good friend Rick Warren wrote this book several years ago. Millions of copies have been uh, sold and read about the purpose-driven life. And you can boil it down to saying that when I live in, inside of purpose, the purpose that God has for me personally, that God has designed for me, if God designed me to be a teacher, that I can be the best teacher for his glory and, 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 and for his kingdom. If God designed me to be a pastor, that I can be the best pastor for his kingdom and for his glory. If God designed me uh, to, to be effective as an architect or whatever he's done, if I'm living inside of that purpose that God has designed for me and I'm living it out loud for his kingdom, then I find tremendous fulfillment in living a life that is driven by purpose, not driven by what everybody else is doing and looking over my neighbor's fence to find out I need one of those, they have one, I don't, but driven by the mission that God has given us and driven by fulfilling uh, who he called and created us to be. And the third one is practicing gratitude on a daily basis. Make eye contact with your kids and your spouse and make eye contact with the people around you and, and be grateful for every moment. Be grateful for everything that's going on. I was in the airport recently and uh, a dad's holding his, his, his little baby and she's out. She's beautiful, 
absolutely beautiful little baby. And he's, he's holding her, and she's just completely out. And I said, what, how blessed, what a beautiful baby. And he goes, yeah, you know, she's great when she's asleep. <laughs> he said, when she wakes up, I'm chasing her everywhere, you know. But I am so grateful to be a dad. I love it. I love it when she's asleep, and I love it when she's awake, and she's running, and I'm chasing her, and she's screaming at me. I love it. I'm living a life of contentment, and I'm practicing gratitude on a daily basis. We're closing. We're getting ready to close. I want to invite the worship team to come, and, and if our ushers and greeters would prepare, we're going to receive communion together. When we value what God values and we live inside a purpose, we, we practice gratitude, we allow contentment to move into our lives. We took a number of trips uh, over the 1990s into Romania, and it was right after uh, Iron Curtain was falling and there was a lot of things going on uh, in that part of the world. And they were, there were still uh, influences of communism around and those kinds of things and a lot of poverty. And uh, people were living in, in very, very difficult circumstances. And um, what we found among especially the Christian people was a great deal of gratitude and contentment in their lives of the people that lived there. They were grateful for the little things and they never took them for granted. They were grateful for their health and for their family. They were grateful for shelter. They were grateful for food. They were grateful for the love of God and God's family. We met, I met so many people. There was one, uh, we think, you know, we've got a church on every corner. There's one church, one church, one Christian church um, in Galatz, Romania at the time when we were going there. One Christian church, one. And it was on the far side of town. The communists had, had allowed it. And it was way back uh, away from anything and uh, a long distance from where most people lived. I, I met a family, an elderly couple who literally walks 12 miles to go to that church every Sunday. Every Sunday. It's crushed to think that we can't fill the chairs here in America and all the things that we have and that people like that would walk 12 miles, an elderly couple in, in their early 70s, get up early enough to walk 12 miles to go to church and walk 12 miles home. That Sunday, we gave them a ride home, but every Sunday, they continue to do that. And it's the story of all those people, and that place is packed. I preached there, 1,100 people, standing room only, in that little building. They're so grateful, so grateful. They live lives of gratitude. They would invite us over, and we learned after the first trip, and I felt so guilty because... Um, I didn't know this, but it's, it was their, their custom that they would bring the very best that they had and they would feed their guests and take care of them, you know. And I learned later that, that they were sacrificing the rest of the week and the rest of the month because they had given us their very best when we were there. And it wounded and it hurt me and I thought, that's never happening again. We're going to be a blessing to these people. We're going to go back and we're going to take more than we take away. We're going to give more than we take away living a life of gratitude. We are such an ungrateful people nationwide. We live with a lack of gratitude. We often don't value what God really values. 
And you can see that in our politics. You can see that in the way we live our lives out. We are purposeless and that's why we're running around and gravitating to every new thing. And we are so susceptible to the consumer mindset as Christians uh, that's in this world and so pervasive in this world that sometimes we're running our churches in a consumer mindset. What's gonna be popular? What's gonna work? What are we, what's gonna draw the crowd? What's gonna bring people in? On Romania, every Sunday, there are two sermons that are preached, three hour services. 30 minutes, people pray during that service and call out to God and you can hear them. Grateful for every breath and every moment, everything that's taking place. I came back after the first trip and I went to see our overseer. I was broken, crushed. I told him, I said, I can't pastor anymore. I can't, I can't give in to this consumer mindset that's going on. I think God's calling me to go to Romania to serve there, to go where people are hungry and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I was talking to a man uh, this overseer who had pastored a church of uh, around 3,000 people. And this is, the, this is his story. Can I borrow your chair for a second? <laughs> On his 35th Sunday there, and there was 3,000 people in that church. On his 35th Sunday, they bought him a, a chair, you know, as an anniversary, uh, a really nice, easy boy chair, you know, that cranks back and is real comfortable and everything, you know, and I was there for his sermon and he was preaching and man, he was bringing the gospel. And he said, you know, I should just really be happy. This place is packed. Next door, our youth, there's, there's 250 youth next door. There's 300 children in our children's ministry. I should be so content. I was in Tucson, Arizona. I should be so happy with what God has done. Thank you guys for giving me this chair. It reminds me that I should just relax. I should just sit down and enjoy what God has done. But I can't relax because people don't know Jesus. And then for the next 30 minutes, man, he crushed us and told us how we had forgotten to value what God values, how we were living below the purpose that God had given us and how we were not living in gratitude. We left there weeping and asking God, what can we do to make a difference? And I'm sitting here telling him my story. And he says, I know I, I feel the same way. But he said, Alan, God has called you where he's called you. And you fulfill that calling because it's making a difference in the lives of people who are there. We need to be grateful. And I went home and I was, the gratefulness was growing inside of me, the gratitude for what God had given us. I started looking around. I thought, we were blessed, man, the church that we have. 
thinking through the people that came to our church who were blessed. Thank you, Jesus. I, I know other pastors were struggling in this area or that area, and we're blessed there and starting to live in gratitude. And it really changed. It didn't, it didn't change the attendance overnight. We began to grow, but it changed my attitude. And I started seeing things differently than I'd seen them because I was living out of gratitude. Our ushers are coming with the elements for communion. This is a fitting way for us to close out Thanksgiving. I want to invite you to stand up, if you will. They're going to distribute that which represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hang on to those. We're going to receive them together in a minute. We've been invited to the Lord's table, his table, and that's what we call communion, the Lord's table. This is his table. And we've been invited there by Jesus. Jesus has invited us to come to his table. Come as you are. Leave different. We have an opportunity right now to take the things that where we have not been living our lives completely for him and to say, God, I'm making a new start with you. And that's what we want to do today as we come to the Lord's table. So I want to invite you to say these words with me as we make a new start with the Lord Jesus Christ in our life and say, you know, a, a, a heart of gratitude and say, God, I, I really want to make you the Lord and the leader of my life. I no longer want to challenge you and say, good master. You know, you're good and I'm good and we're both doing good things, you know. I want to say, God, everything that I own, everything that I have, every breath that I have belongs to you. It's the alabaster um, a glass vase of perfume that I'm breaking and, and pouring out to you and to you alone. You own everything. I brought nothing into the world. I'm taking nothing out of the world. I belong to you. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I come just as I am. You have given me everything. Even the breath I breathe. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again. I want to make you the Lord and leader over my life today and every day going forward. I live for you in Jesus name. Amen. Father, we thank you for that, which represents the body of the Lord Jesus. It was broken for us. Take eat. Thank you for inviting us to your table, Lord. Thank you for this shed blood at Calvary that washed away every sin. Thank you for the fresh start of today. And we thank you, Lord, for this cup. And we receive it together in Jesus' name.